Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 165, A Look at Manjaro, recorded October 19th, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroach, and as always, I am joined by, I am joined by your friends and mine, Chris, the command line godfather, and Seth, the gooey kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, everyone, and how are you doing tonight? And welcome, all the Cowboy fans. Uh, the game's over, so you can listen large. That's Yay. Right. Go, Cowboys. Haters need not apply. Um, <laughs> my team that I've been a supporter of through all the, through the Quincy Carter years, I have been a Cowboys fan. And all the people saying that Romo can, can't win, well, well, they're 6-1 with a bullet, baby, and um, have just been setting records left and right. Awesome. Yeah. They were they, during the game today. They were put. They put up a graphic of Troy Aikman versus Roger Staubach versus, um, uh, what's the guy Tony Romo? And it was through 140 games, and Troy Aikman had 114, I think was the number of touchdowns, and Staubach had 151 touchdowns. Romo 216. He's not even, wow. he's, he's blowing people. I, I was, I had that conversation just this week. Somebody was like, you know, Romo was overrated or whatever. I said, look at his stats. He's, he leads the league in almost every category in the regular season. He's in the top five in everything in the regular season. Postseason, not so much, but in the regular season, he's in like in the top five in every category, including fumbles and interceptions. But still, yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's an amazing player. All right. Well, no, the thing was, he had to be awesome for the Cowboys to have a shot at winning. True. He doesn't have to be awesome for them to win now. Right. So, you know, that offensive line is, uh, is making him look even yeah. better. He's had so much time to throw and, you know, the running backs don't get hit until they've made nine yards. Right. Okay. okay. Welcome to football weekly, everyone. Um, <laughs> So yeah, we had a sports show, but now it's gone. Yeah, we did. It was, you know, you know what happened to that show? I don't think I've ever mentioned it. The hosts weren't famous after a couple of months, and so they decided they didn't want to do it anymore. That's literally what they came down to. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> they were like, "Hey, you promised us worldwide fame." Well, no, actually, I, I didn't. Um, and so they decided it wasn't worth it. it. I mean, it takes a lot of time and effort. You, you listener out there, I'm here to tell you. Even this show, which really seems uh, very free-flowing and like we just sort of get together, turn on the mics and talk, takes a lot of effort every week and a lot of time to put pull together and, and publish these shows. And uh, some of the guys that I've tapped to do shows have decided it's just not worth the effort. Yeah, it happens. Uh, you know what else yep. happens? Uh Birthdays. And this is a birthday-filled time of You know what? It's cold in January and February. So there's lots right. of <laughs> lots of October birthdays there's, and September there's lots birthdays. of cuddling. Yes, <laughs> I I had uh, two birthday uh, two birthday parties in two weeks. That's the way. It, well, in in 17 days, that's the way it runs in my house. Um, so this weekend, my oldest daughter turned 12. For the last couple of years, she's had uh, there's a pumpkin patch not far from us, and she's had our part her parties there. 
she decided this year she wanted to bring the pumpkin patch to our house. So we bought a bunch of pumpkins. We bought some hay, set up a fire pit, and boom, there you go. I threw hay bales in the back of the truck, threw kids in, and drove around the, the cul-de-sac hayride city slicker style. It was like when go. the Clampets rolled into Beverly Hills, that was me. <laughs> Only the kids were in costume. That works. Yeah. I, I had had a it was a surreal moment. When I was a kid growing up in East Texas, I threw thousands of bales of hay to make money on summer jobs. Now, I'm forty two years old. I drove up to the local Lowe's and paid a guy ten bucks or five dollars a bale to throw him in my truck for me. It just seemed so weird. <laughs> I'm now buying hay. Instead of just going out to the field and picking it up and getting paid for it. Instead, I'm paying for it. It was just it was a weird. So if anybody needs some hay, I've got some because <laughs> I got nothing to do with it now. Absolutely yeah, can, nothing. Can huh? you ship that to my house? I could use it. And the shipping might be a little more than it's worth. <laughs> just a bit. I would bet it would be. <clears throat> but you're welcome to come get it. Yeah, that would be... Uh... I could go buy hay. I could yeah. pay somebody here for what it would cost me to drive there. Yeah, it'd be at least three tanks of gas at uh, $80 a tank. So $240 for uh, <laughs> 10 bales of hay. It doesn't really, oh. really work out. Sure it does. No. I like those odds. <laughs> it, it would work. So, Chris, you also did some cuddling a few months ago uh, with your wife, right? Yes. Yeah, my son turned 14 this this week. So, um yeah, we, we've, we just had our first, uh, we were, normally my wife does this whole idea where there's two, you get to pick it, pick your dinner so we can either, um, uh, go out to eat or she can make something or, you know, something special. Well, my son has fallen in love with the soup that my, that she makes that's basically just cheddar, broccoli, bacon, and potatoes. I hear nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with it. Um, but so, but the funny thing is, is I looked at him and I go, Zach, you do realize this is the only time of year that you can have your mom make manicotti and she can't complain about it. <laughs> and so, of course, then about 15 minutes later, I got the slap of back side of the head saying, really? Because she doesn't have a problem making it, but she just doesn't like to make it. So, because it's, it's messy and time consuming and everything else. But, uh. Yeah, so we're having we had soup, and now we're gonna have manicotti tomorrow. So I think it's awesome. And my daughter <clears throat> said, since my birthday was on Friday, does that mean we get to have our family dinner on Saturday? No, you had your birthday on Friday. Uh, you're misunderstanding the way this works. <laughs> Mommy and Daddy go out to dinner on the birthday because we don't have parties. See, your yep. <laughs> your party when I spent a hundred bucks on pizza. That was your dinner. I'm telling you, she Ooh. invited everyone she knows. I'm not kidding. It was like she just opened up her address book and invited everyone <laughs> she knows. She replied all to the address yeah. book. Is that the idea? So <laughs> our rule is one one child for every year of age that you are. She's 12. She can invite 12 kids. Okay. And our rule has also been that siblings don't count. So... Or, like, if you invite twins, that counts as one. Or if you invite a, a friend and, and she brings her little brother, that doesn't count. Everybody she invited had, like, five brothers and sisters. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just got suckered, yeah. Mark. And and then all the parents stayed, which was, I didn't mind that. But typically, at least in my experience, it's been one or two moms will stay. 
everybody else, particularly the dads, will drop the kids and run and go, ooh, two hours of free time. No, all the parents stayed. So we had we had 45 people in our driveway. Um, and it was works. great. I loved it. I mean, we were all sitting around the campfire. We toasted marshmallows, and, and it, was, it was wonderful. Cool. But, man, it was a lot of people. Yeah, Sounds I would like imagine it. that's 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 a a heap ton of people. You tailgated at your house, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, we had all the lawn chairs. Of course, people were sitting on bales of hay, and then we had the lawn chairs and had the canopy up and and had the yeah. It was a tailgate. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, you tailgated for your daughter. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, it's that's all. Yeah, I'll have to. You know, now that you bring that up, that sounds like a really fun way of doing a birthday party. Yeah, and all the cleanup was throw the bales of hay back in the truck, and and you're kind of done. Didn't have yeah. to clean the house. Nobody came in the house except to go to the bathroom. So as long as the path from the front door to the bathroom was clean, it was fine. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you hey, know, you can put it my on f- Craigslist, Mark, for the hay. I you know, for could. sale used hay. There you go. I bet you you'd probably get rid of them really quick. Slightly used hay was used for. Sitting. Right. Used a little of it for kindling. <laughs> yeah. Um, see? <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. We also need to announce that the All Things Open Conference is uh, this weekend. Seth, tell us about that. Well, um, you know, this is Jen, who we who was our guest last week. She's involved with that. And so I asked her, I said, you know, if you write up a little promo about it, we'll announce it. So um, our show comes out Wednesday. It is actually Wednesday and Thursday. Um, and all things open is the premier open tech conference of the Southeast happens the 22nd and the 23rd at Riley Convention Center. Um, there's talks and workshops from experts on open source, open tech and open web. Um, you can find information about it at allthingsopen.org. So again, the day this podcast releases, it's going on Wednesday and Thursday in Raleigh. I always forget that's North, uh, North, North Carolina. Yeah. And then when you're done there, Head on up to the uh, Linux Ohio Linux Fest, which is going on this weekend as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know we've uh, we told Beth we would announce it every week till it happens. Well, this week it's happening downtown Columbus, Ohio, at the Greater Columbus Convention Center. Um, the Graybeards of Linux will be out in full force, and you can take such beginning topics as nuclear physics and other <laughs> how the world was formed in 200 words or less. Um, no, really, though, the Ohio Linux Fest is like um, in the old Northwest Territory. You can Google that if you don't know what that is. Uh, it's one of the premier Linux events that's been going on for quite some time. Uh, check it out if you are in or around Columbus, Ohio. They have uh, all different kinds of things, whether you're uh, an operating system person or a software person. You can go in and find out more about it. And then and when you're done with all that, come on down and we'll have some s'mores in Atlanta. It uh, seems fair <laughs> enough. Uh, <laughs> that works. So, uh, Chris, we all know that you started a new job recently. How's that going for you? It's going all right, except for when you spend 36 hours on shift and not being able to sleep. Except for the two hours that I got to sleep in the truck until they sent me to the hotel room because I was acting a little uh, delirious, uh, punch drunk. Uh, what was it? I, I'm trying to remember all the comments that were said to me before I left and uh yeah, Ev- evidently I get pretty loopy when I ha- when I'm up for 36 hours. Yeah, and you don't want the guy who's in charge of your operating system to be punch drunk. 
Not a good combination. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not a good idea. So, nope. but yeah, it was, it was a, it was a long and long couple of days. I'm glad it's over. Otherwise, I'd still be there right now. I've, I can honestly say I've never had an all nighter associated with work. I've had some late nights, like leave at 2 a.m. and back at 8 a.m. I've had that, but I've never pulled an all nighter on, on the job before. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of goes with the territory. Uh, luckily though, it wasn't just me by myself. There was a second guy. So we, the workload wasn't overwhelming. It was just long. So if I'm a little loopy still, that's why. And so far, no more than usual. Okay. Uh, and Seth, I got to ask, what is the bright side of Ebola? Well, Mark, let me ask you, have you ever heard so little about the Kardashians in the past <laughs> decade? You know, I mean, he you does know, have a point I was there. thinking about that. I was like, you know, Ebola is serious. I, I hope everybody recovers and it's sad. It's killed thousands of people around the world. But on the bright side, I haven't heard anything about the Kardashians. So it can't be all bad. You know, I work in the healthcare industry and, and some of the doctors that I work with are really uh, legitimately concerned about it because we have, you know, three of the three known Ebola cases in the country have been in Atlanta, right? They started in Dallas. Now they've come to Atlanta. So I understand that there's reason to brush up on your infectious disease policies and make sure you know what to do and that sort of stuff. But let's not lose sight of the fact that this is a disease that you can only get by essentially wallowing in other people's blood and body fluids. Um, Pretty sure the the cardiologist I work with, you know, isn't going to be doing open heart surgery on an Ebola patient. Um, well, let's hope not. That's if, pretty wicked. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's just one of those things. It's, um, really, really overblown. Like so many things. I mean, well, here's, here's what I found interesting about this. This is an El Nino winter. And if you were alive, uh, and paying attention in like 92, all you would have ever heard about was El Nino. El Nino was responsible for yep. everything that happened that year the stock market went up or down because of el nino el nino affected the 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 um uh, elections in washington el nino was everywhere <laughs> there've been if i might, if my math is right five six el nino since then because it happens every 4 years so right. no it can't be six but anyway it's 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 a it's a cyclical thing this is an el nino winter we don't hear anything about that because we've got ebola we don't need el nino yep yeah, just something else for the the media to uh, obsess about. And it's not. And, I want to be clear on this. It's not the media's fault. It's our fault that we get the media that we pay for. We either pay for it directly with our money or indirectly with our attention. And when yeah. they hype something, their ratings go up. That's a fact. So it's our fault. True enough. It's almost sad. <laughs> and they need something to hype. And the Ebola is the flavor of the season. The Kardashians was last season. You know, and sadly, they'll be back, I'm sure. Yeah, that's that's the worst thing about it is that I know this is but a mere respite. Um, but yeah, they'll they'll probably return more ludicrous than ever. I want our bronies app to be the next thing that the media is hyping. Wouldn't the, uh, that be awesome? Yeah, need to do that. <laughs> uh, in fact, somebody asked this week. It was one of those get to know you questions. They asked, when was the last time you laughed so hard you cried? 
It was last week, right here on this show. <laughs> I listened back to it, and it really wasn't that funny listening to it. And I thought, you know, the audience is probably not really getting this. But in the moment, oh, my gosh, that was funny. Yes, it, it was. Just it was the uh, perfect confluence of uh, random events. Yes. There you go. And random people. Speaking of random people, let's get on to some listener feedback for this week. And we'll start with Joe, who's, uh, he might as well just come on and be the uh, co-host because he's, he's featured in our listener feedback so often. (laughs) Um, Joe wants to talk about Linux. Now that's unprecedented here on the Everyday Linux show. Oh my goodness. No way. Oh, by the way, just, just a quick aside. Um, somebody who was going to Ohio Linux Fest sent me an email and said, I'd like to wear an everyday Linux shirt at Ohio Linux Fest. And I said, great, let me go make one because we don't have (laughs) one. We never have had one. So there is now in existence an official everyday Linux shirt. It's got our logo on it. And on the back, it says the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. So it's available at our webs, uh, at our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash LMNOP. So if you're interested, it's there. If you hurry... You could probably get it in time to wear the do Ohio Linux Fest. I offered to uh, send this guy. I said, you buy it, and I'll PayPal you the money for it, because I can't. It would be easier than having him ship it to me and me ship it to him. And uh, he hasn't responded. Time is running out. But it's out there. And it's expensive, and I apologize for that, but demand printing cost a fortune. I make almost no money on that. I make 6%, something like that. Um, wow, that's it. Yeah, um, but I mean, I can set how much I make. I have it really low. Um, right. On a, but the shirts are forty bucks. It's expensive, but on-demand printing is expensive. I could get them a lot cheaper if I ordered like a thousand. But in the whole history of this show, I think I've sold four shirts. Two of them were to me. So I'm um, <laughs> not sure that I'm willing to put the money into a thousand. Anyway, well, okay. it's fixed to be five of them. One of them to me. So <laughs> it's a cool looking shirt, isn't it? Yeah, I'm I'm buying it right now. All right. So uh, that was sorry for that little aside now. Now on to uh, Joe's feedback. He says, EDL hosts, I hate to do this, but my listener feedback is actually about Linux. Just this time, Joe, never again. He, he even broke breaks them in cate- up into categories. Linux on old wow. category. Uh, on, excuse me. Linux on old hardware. The first category. I was given a 10-year-old laptop with a Pentium M single-core CPU and a gig of RAM. I was told that it had XP problems, and it was literally pulled off the floor of a garage out from under a pile of garbage. I fired up several Linux Live CDs, and some would work and some would not. Surprisingly, Puppy, Mint, Peppermint 5, and Lubuntu 14.04, all 32-bit, would not boot. But the latest Lubuntu, based on LXLE, did boot, as did Anti-X, a Debian-based ICE uh, WM distribution. Turns out there's an issue with PAE. Uh, PAE is Physical Address Extensions. It's a way to uh, squeeze more RAM out of a 32-bit system. Uh, yep. Uh, this particular processor supports PAE, but is flagged, but is not flagged as such. So PAE PAE kernels will not recognize the PAE support, so it will not boot. I installed Anti-X and CrunchBang, thankfully offers a non-PAE version, and the machine works just fine. I did work uh, find a workaround from some strangers on the internet that would force Lubuntu 14.04 to install on this machine, but surprisingly it runs like a dog compared to the others. 
Of course, you've hacked it to not run like it's designed to. Um, I don't really care. I'm fine with the three distros that are working with it. I've gotten around to trying Manjaro. Uh, excuse me, I haven't gotten around to trying Manjaro uh, yet, but I'm curious to see how or if it works, given that Arch will have very recent kernels. So here's the point of the discussion. The more recent kernels seem to be missing the PAE support and the Ubuntu's around the 12.10 release and later won't easily go on older machines. Mark, I heard you mention a while back when you put on put Linux on your new laptop that Linux has an image problem because it won't go on the newest of hardware until the kernels catch up, but works great on old crap hardware. So how does PAE this PAE fish issue fit into that discussion? And how does this discussion fit into this slightly dated discussion of converting to Linux because of Windows XP end of life? Maybe this is a non-issue, except for those machines that are pinning them in of a certain vintage. Will there always be a Debian or other distro with a non-PAE kernel for older machines? These uh, few distros that I have installed are a couple of years old and are working fine now, but what about in two or three years when they reach end of life? Will a non-PAE distro exist in 2017, or those of us running old boxes will be forced to stick uh, with out-of-date? Will Linux give up the envious position of working on old hardware? Um, and so let's answer this before we go on to his next section. You're dealing with a hack that was never really intended to be a long-term salute. The PAE extension was a way to squeeze a few extra years out of some aging hardware so that Intel could continue to sell them and Windows could uh, could continue to work on them. Um, to answer your question, will there always be a distro? Sure. The one you're running right now will always be there. Will you be able to update? I don't know. At some point, support for everything goes away. You're not going to be able to, to put Linux on a 386 anymore. Probably not even a 486. So, yeah, it just happens. That that machine is already 10 years old, and you're looking at five years out. Uh, frankly, I'm not going to shed any tears if support goes away for a 15-year-old chip. You can't continue to drag legacy with you. That's been Windows' problem for so long. Um, they broke backwards compatible, uh, compatibility with Vista because you have to do that at some point, and the world screamed. So will there be something? Sure. There's always going to be some nerd who can do what you want. That nerd may be you. You may have to recompile a kernel for for it. If so, you know, you'll always be able to do it. But I frankly don't think this hurts image uh, Linux's image any at all. What do you guys think? Well, I was going to say the chances are uh, the first thing I'm going to ask is which versions of those distros did he download? Did he download the 64-bit? Did he download the 32-bit? Because usually, at least in my experience, if you download the 64-bit image and you try to install it, it won't. It will not boot at all. So I'm hoping he at least tried the 32-bit images because the 32-bit images shouldn't even be trying to do P PAE. It, they're just not supposed to because the 32 or they should be. Excuse me, they should be trying to do the PAE. Right, but, but what he's saying is that chipset. The, apparently in the BIOS wasn't flagged as supporting it. It did support it, but it wasn't flagged in it. So maybe a BIOS right. update would, would solve this problem. That could be. It very well could be a BIOS problem. Because even if it isn't a PAE-supported chip, because I've, I've installed... Oh, what was it? It was uh, an older version of Fedora that ran Lubuntu, or LXDE as the base instead of GNOME or KDE. Um, it was a 32-bit flavor. And it installed on an old, oh, what was the first Atom chip? 
I don't know. The Atom. I can't. Yeah, yeah but anyway, it was it was about as old as that Intel M chip. And it installed and ran fine, but you just couldn't do more than one thing at a time on it yeah. because it just we didn't have the hardware specs to handle anything more than that. So the I, I just wonder, A, did you try updating the BIOS from the manufacturer? And B, make sure that you download something that has more enterprise-level supported uh, things like the Fedora versions or uh, you say the Debian version installed properly. Well, the Debian version is going to install older or deeper pockets for legacy hardware. So that would be another thing to check into. Um, and, you know, like the Fedora guys, they usually make a distro that is going to last that that has that deep pocket for reaching back to those older those older legacy or the older legacy hardware because they're trying to take that that enterprise level from Microsoft. So you're trying distributions that are you know bleeding or cutting edge. You know they're meant to be cutting edge. Period. Not backwards compatible. Yeah. So try try to you know distributions that are more enterprise level and you'll probably have better luck seth do you have any thoughts on it yeah well first of all i am a super big fan of updating the bios uh especially on those older machines because you're banging your head against stuff that has already been fixed in most of the time and second of all you know go for some of the there are distros out there that are specifically targeted for the older machines i know like puppy has one of their uh veins is specifically designed for older hardware so you want to go something that is that route and because you know and this it helps to do a little forum digging because sometimes there is a specific piece of hardware that a one distro won't have the drivers for and another one will and so you're spinning your wheels hacking something when if you just would have used distro b it would have installed just fine so you know basically the same things that chris has said just one update i've just just even in a windows world i've been shocked at how updating the bios of five and six year old machines enables windows 7 to take 30 minutes to boot to take one minute to boot just you know because and it was like well gee why isn't this working and i just i had a thought let me try updating the bios and boom so that was windows Uh, linux is going to be the exact same thing uh, and I would say that, yes, you do have to be careful when loading a BIOS, but the days of if you don't hold your mouth right, it'll hose your, hose your machine are pretty much past. It's fairly stable. The The only time I ever toasted a machine trying to update the BIOS was clearly my fault. I put the wrong disk in, and I flashed the wrong BIOS on the chip. That's not the BIOS's fault. <laughs> and now yeah, if they you do that, you need to be make sure you have a way to come back. So before yeah. you flash, make sure there's a way to... Revert said broken flash. In that case, there wasn't. I had to just Ooh. trash the circa nineteen ninety five era laptop. It didn't break my heart too much. Uh but that that particular BIOS had a one nine three five one A and a one nine three five one and I put the A on and shouldn't have. So oops. Well yeah. and Neil, they uh like I've accidentally tried to install the wrong BIOS and it's told me. This BIOS is not compatible yeah. with this machine. Hey, dummy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I needed that. So, 
Uh, okay, moving on to the next section of his thing, he talks about lightweight distros. Uh, reviews of lightweight distros praise the light desktop environments for their small memory footprint. But where does slow, old, single-core CPUs come into this discussion? Are there such things as distributions that are optimized for limited CPU power rather than limited RAM? Uh, it's one and the same, Joe. Uh, generally, pretty much. Uh, footprint is the easiest, uh, memory footprint is the easiest thing to measure. Um, it's harder to measure CPU performance on a distro, but you know, you, you talked about, uh, running the, whatever it was that ran like a dog that may not be the distro's fault. It may be the fact that it's default configuration loads up a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And that old, uh, one gigahertz Pentium M processor isn't going to do a bunch of stuff. So if you've got, you know, um, uh, 10 things that start to run by default, an IM client, a network browser, and all that sort of stuff, which is not unusual here. So if you dra- grabbed a, mo- a modern OS and threw that on there, it's sort of designed for the modern world where we multitask without even thinking about it. Even just, I mean, running the package manager update checker and and running uh, a, uh, a wireless networking console and all that sort of stuff, just those things are enough to bog down that machine. So if you had stripped it down to minimum uh, processing and just running one or two things, then maybe it would have worked fine. Maybe it wouldn't have. But you're dealing and, with a very old piece of hardware there. My yeah, phone is faster than that laptop. <laughs> and honestly, the uh, that CrunchBang version, that is a stripped-down version. Um, if you've ever run CrunchBang, it's, there's not much there. Um, it's pretty much a window manager... You know, whatever little widgets that have to run in order to be network-abled, that's about all they put. And and I want to say, you know, I probably have been guilty in the past of saying that um, too cavalierly that you can run Linux on older hardware and get a modern experience. Um, That is true to an extent, but the farther back you go, the less modern your experience can be, too. You know, I loaded, it was like Linux Mint 14 on a Pentium 3 800 megahertz machine and it installed and it booted up and I could run one thing like I could do the web browser or I could do you know some document thing but I couldn't open up a document and run the web browser so I mean you know and that was super old and this has been a couple of years ago but I could run a modern operating system and have a modern web browser but that was the only thing I would have to shut that down before I did anything else because it, that laptop couldn't handle. And you couldn't else. have run multiple tabs of that browser and you probably couldn't have run a flash video in it at the same time. No, actually I was, I, w- I watched a YouTube video. Okay. Um, and it, w- the one video played fine as long as that's the only thing I had launched. So I was. I, I gave it up. I mean, I was, that was mad props. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To, uh, and you think about it, when that hardware was built, that's what people were doing with their computers. Right. They yep. were doing opening one thing and then switching to something else. Well, and plus, you know, you think about how much how much more memory intensive the browser of today is versus the, what, 2004 yeah. or whenever that came out. You just know, displays. Uh, just having a high-res display takes a ton of processing power. Right. Because if the, a chip that old, certainly a Pentium M, isn't going to have the built-in uh, uh, video coprocessor. So right. you know, even if if you plug that thing into uh, a high-res monitor, you've sucked a lot of power out of it just there. Because remember, yeah. those things would have run at probably 800 by 600 resolution. And if you're now running at say HD, which is 
1080 by 720. I think that's right. Close enough. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it's, you gotta remember what you're trying to do on it and what the original work level of that machine was. All right. Moving on to the next bit of listener feedback. Brandon makes a case for Pico. Says, Mark, you were speaking about Vi and asked the question, why isn't there an easier alternative to Vi or Vim? Uh, have you used Nano? It comes with most distros now. Used to be Pico, uh, bundled with Pine back in the day. Uh, Nano has a menu at the top, so you don't have to remember commands. Excuse me, a menu at the bottom, so you don't have to remember commands. Just my two cents. Love the show. Keep up the great work y'all do. Brandon from Houston, Texas, hence the y'all. Um, yeah, Pico in my system on my Linux, uh, mint system, if you type Pico, it loads nano. Um, and yes, there is a menu. That's all I can say good about it. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's better absolutely than Vim, uh, in that you can at least have some help and, and know something, uh, you, you at least can see what's going on. And, and while the commands are weird, um, you can, like, for example, it's not save, it's write out, control O. It's not yeah. open, it's read file, control R. So, weird, I guess, but better, sure. <laughs> I just... <laughs> kind of. <laughs> so, point stipulated under protest, I suppose. We'll give you a half point for that one. <laughs> the, the, the play with, the play's under review. <laughs> it's just we can we can do better even on a pentium m cpu we can do better we can we rebuild it we better. have the technology we yeah. can make it better stronger faster somebody just needs to and not a neckbeard that's the thing neckbeards care about the command line and that's neckbeards right. don't know what the other people care about so chris the command line godfather looks at vim and says this is awesome i don't need anything yeah. else that's why he should never be building a command line editor. We need somebody like the GUI kid designing a command line editor, and then everybody will like it because there'll, there'll still be keyboard commands. And so the neckbeards will still be happy with it, but then the rest of us will at least have a freaking clue how it works. <laughs> I'm going to oh, get right on, on that, everyone. <laughs> I'm going to open it. I'm going to do a Kickstarter project <laughs> for the GUI. Yeah. You know, somebody do a Kickstarter project, and if it gets funded, I will do it. It's on you, EDL community. <laughs> All right. And next up, Christopher talks about the magic of cell phones. I just finished listening to your latest podcast. That would probably be in a month ago based on when this came in uh, and had to share a quick comment. You mentioned going back in time with a smartphone and being considered a wizard. You pretty much just summed up the basic plot of a funny book. I just finished listening to on my Audible app. Insert Audible ad here. If you have an Audible credit or you, uh, to use, or if you're Seth and would rather, you could always go to elementopcom slash Amazon and pick it up there. Uh, anyways, Off to Be the Wizard by Scott Meyer. Pretty quick read and quite funny. I put that in my wish list today. I have two credits with my name on them. I may do it. Um, the basic premise, as I read from the description, is... Uh, a kid figures out that all of the world, all of the universe is a computer program, and he figures out how to hack it. And then he gets in trouble, so he decides to go back into the past and be a wizard. Because why not? So basically, it's the Matrix. 
Yeah, something like that. I mean, the, the, there was a little blurb audio sample. Audible always has audio samples, and I clicked it, and it started with he was reading a text file, and it had his height there at five foot eleven, um, and it bothered him that it was wrong. Not that he wasn't really five foot eleven, but that on every form he'd ever filled out for his entire life, he'd been telling everybody he was six foot two. So he edited the file to say six foot two and grew three inches. <laughs> That's that sounds cool. like fun. Yeah. So that was enough for me to go, huh, I'll add this to my wish list. Uh, so if you're interested in checking out Audible, uh, I love uh, Audible. I, I hate to use that word, actually. I, I, I don't want to use the same word about Audible that I use about my wife or my children. English needs better variations of the word love. But anyway, I enjoy Audible, and I think you will, too. Go to elementopi.com slash Audible. You'll get a free month. Um, check it out, one free book. At the end of that free month, you will get charged, warning, spoiler alert, you will get charged. You're signing up for the monthly uh, one book a m- uh, month plan, which I think is right around $15. But if you choose to cancel at any time prior to that, meaning 45 seconds after you sign up, uh, you won't get charged and the book is still yours to keep. So it's a good way to get a free book. But more than that, it's a good way to get yourself into the Audible book universe, which I personally have, have found really rewarding. If you're a podcast listener, you're going to be an, a, a book, an audiobook enthusiast as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm slowly, I haven't yet fought off the uh, Amazon uh, Audible jump into and, and sign over your paychecks, but I'm getting pretty close. Mark, there's a book too, just so you know, called Spell or High Water. Um, apparently, it's a series, Magic 2.0. Um, okay. I'm a... Uh, I'm considering these. I've got my latest <laughs> Honor Harrington book to read, but after that, I'm going to be all caught up, and so I'm going to need something else. Huh. Yeah, I uh, I like um, good long books. You know, if it's 15 hours, that's so much the better. Um, I just the listened guns. to. A, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I was going to say then you, you guys, if you guys haven't listened to him yet, you should uh, listen to the Gunslinger series. I haven't read all of the books or listened to them all, but they are some of the longest and most uh, in-depth books I've ever read from Stephen King. All right. I'm not a big King fan, but, you know, I'll tell you, these I, are, these I like his movies better than I like his books. Well, that's because they condense it down. Yeah. So, uh, but these are good. Definitely go get these. I read a, a uh, an interesting short book just in the last week called The Curmudgeon's Guide to Getting Ahead. It's a book designed for young kids straight out of college. You know, basically, these are things you should do and things you shouldn't do. And as I was listening to it, I realized I am the curmudgeon, not the <laughs> the person he's talking to. Uh-oh. <laughs> it, it happens. I hit 40. I'm a curmudgeon. But I kind of think I was a curmudgeon at age 20 as well. Yeah, I definitely was. All right, and our last <laughs> bit of listener feedback, Dalton hears us loud and clear. Uh, his uh, su- The sub- subject of his line was why I support Everyday Linux. Recently, I was riding on Dallas Public Transportation when a guy with his pants below his butt decided to blast his smartphone music while a woman next to him decided to talk louder than him on her smartphone so she could share her nightly adventures with the world. I found my earplugs and your podcast saved me. It is so clear that I could turn it up and drown out the noise I didn't want to hear and enjoy. 
this one is one of the reasons I support you. So it's good nice. that we're clear. He didn't really say that we're entertaining or, or uh, uh, educational, but that's all right. We're clear. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, and Dalton, I'm right there with win. you. Uh, just this past week, I was writing on Dallas public transportation, and it's all you said it was and more. <laughs> yeah. Public transportation for the blues. Um, I got stuck behind a bus, you know, clean energy, saving the planet, and I had to to put my air conditioner on recirculate to not breathe in the black clouds of smoke that it was pumping out every time it changed gears. Yeah. I'm not sure this public transit thing is working out the way the Greenpeace people wanted it to. Or right. it's working out too well. <laughs> Continuing on with Dalton's email, he says, how do you feel about Arch as a server? Uh, I think I just threw up in my mouth a little. Um, uh, I think I just lost 10 years of my life. <laughs> you No. And then he says, just kidding. But really, okay. how do you all feel about Manjaro? I would love to hear a distro review. Well, what a coincidence. That's what this show happens to be. Amazing. It's a, it's like you planned that one, Mark. Almost. <laughs> Literally, this did just come in this week. And number three, it. keep up the good work. So thanks, Dalton. We appreciate the fact that we are clear um, and that we'll talk about Manjaro. Yay. Um, and yes, public transit sucks. That's why people buy cars. Pretty much. Yeah. But a, apparently people are buying cars less than they used to. Um, there's a stat recently about the percentage of, uh, high schoolers who have their driver's license. It's like, um, it's like been falling over the last 20 years in Texas. So shame on you all people for not buying them their automobiles. Well, it's because people are staying living with their parents longer. And so it's the 24 year old with her dad driving her around uh, instead of getting her own license. Yeah. Or the fact that maybe um, that public transit has gotten so good that no one wants to get a license anymore. Because I know when I was, when I was in school in Phoenix, that's how it was. uh, I laughed at my friends because they all, you know, were spending thousands of dollars a month on gas because they're waiting on the freeway for a rush hour. And I'd hop on the bus and beat them there. Um, and pretty much without even blinking an eye and spending a fraction. Yeah. And that works fine if you work a nine to five job in a, in a metropolitan area where and I work, you live in the metropolitan right, area where I work, yeah. I have to drive five miles to get to the bus stop, which then stops three miles from where I work. So, you know, that yeah, doesn't help me much. Doesn't work you very much at all, yeah. no. Nope. Um, and and you know, also being a fat guy on a bus, no, just no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, how about we move right on now to the talk about Manjaro? So this, uh, excuse me, uh, this is the return of the thirty-day distro challenges. That Chris hasn't done in a while, but uh, hopefully we'll yep. be back to doing them again. He spent more than 30 days with Manjaro and was so much in love with it, he didn't want to quit. No. Possibly. Maybe. Let's see. Chris, <laughs> take it away. All right. Well, I'm going to kind of break this up in little pieces because, you know, I've, I've been trying to find a better way of doing these. So uh, I kind of have them listed out here in our discussion points. Uh, so the install point for Manjaro... Uh, it was actually very similar to when I installed Sonic. Uh, the GUI interface did not work for me on my Dell laptop at all. Uh, I ended up having to drop it down to the command line and install it from there. So 
I don't know if I just have flaky hardware or a version of my processor or a graphics card that that installer just doesn't like. But for but you, that's, that's not a bug. That's a feature, right? Command well, line yeah. install. I think it, you subconsciously don't want the graphical <laughs> install to work. And it's one of those, you expect it to be broken, therefore you find a reason for it to be broken. Did you well, check to make sure your uh, video cable was plugged in? <laughs> yeah. Remember, though, this is a laptop, so that can't be a, the reason. But, yeah, no, I, I I thought about that, and I tried it a couple different times. I even re-downloaded and verified the, the ISO before um, I put this in as a, as a flake. But it was one of those things where – and it's not a bad problem because when they, when they drop you down to the command line installer, it's an N-curses-based type installer, so it's still menu-driven. It's still button clicks. They're just text. So, not a a big knock, but one that I want people to be aware of. So, if you have something as a flaky, in, or if you have a similar instance, don't be afraid of the command line installer. It works. It just and it actually is faster because when I virtual boxed it to, and got the graphical installer to work, uh, same hardware specs, same amount of processor, all that stuff. When I when I built the the VM, uh, but the uh, the command line version installed in half the time. So, I don't know why it was that way, but it works that way both um, in in both versions of the VM I made, and on my desk on the laptop that I was using for the thirty days. So, and, and that's not normal. Most of the time, a command line interface and a and a GUI interface take the same amount of time. So that's that's definitely something weird there. Yeah, and, and like I said, I don't know if it was just the ins- the ISO version the. The current version that I downloaded, maybe I had a bad one. So when they do their respins, maybe they had a, a buggy respin that I downloaded, but in it's it you know it's been fixed since then. I, I I can't answer that, but I will say even with the broken with the broken graphical install, it was still a nice install, not as clean and cut as uh, Ubuntu's Mints or Fedora's, but still a really easy install to use. Very straightforward. Uh, walks you right through, answers all the basic questions for you. You just need to confirm them. All right. So installing time is, or the install process is very easy to handle. Uh, even if somebody has never installed something before, they should still be able to figure it out without pulling their hair out or scrambling to their nearest geek. Uh, as far as first boot, the, the system that I ran it on was, um, boots were fast, uh, but not to be, uh, a misunderstanding that the laptop itself boots very fast, even with Windows on it. So, uh, the, I, I give that more to the solid state. But the first boot, it looks pretty. It's got a nice uh, lime green background, and it's it it's a very nice uh, KDE install. That uh, I picked the KDE version because I liked it, uh, and I'll go on to the, some other things in a minute. But the the install, the first boot, the first user interface, it's very nice. It has some extra widgets that I wasn't really expecting, and so it kind of took me off. They have one of the uh, an active uh, system monitor that sits on the desktop with the the different icons that you can turn them on and turn them off. So if you're a, a person that watches the system monitor to to see what's you know how busy your processor is or how busy your uh, network traffic is. It's a nice little thing. Um, the the version of the KDE install is a very up to date version, of course, because it's a rolling release. Uh, but I found it's not 
bleeding edge, it's cutting edge for their packages. So the way Manjaro seems to work is when you, the packages don't come down the day they're released, like in Arch. So they stew for two to, you know, about two days, three days, and then they get released to you from Arch. So if you're one that worries about, uh, broken, uh, a broken machine, um, Manjaro is a very good rolling release candidate because it doesn't just give you a package and not care if it breaks you or not. Yeah, I they remember actually, Jonathan talking about that why he used that for the Sonar project was because they yep. do have that that buffer there where they test yep. it and then they release it. Yep, it's like a three day test window. So uh, even if you end up with a broken machine, probably in three days you'll have a an updated package that would fix any of your problems. So that's a nice thing. Uh, one of the things that I ended up having a problem with, and it's mainly I would, it's twofold of a problem. One is I'm not familiar with the installing system. It's not like a, a Deb, and it's not like a uh, an RPM installer because it's source driven. Um, a lot of the software that I wanted to use wasn't there. I had to go come either go try and download it in a in a source package or turn on their. Uh, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It's it's the user-driven packages, so kind of like a PPA in in Ubuntu. Uh, so I did inst- I, I did in uh, the virtual box. I ran a couple of the the packages that were in the user land distribute or the user land repositories and hosed the virtual machine. So be careful about that. So if you're looking for the newest version of Chrome. You're probably not going to find it. You're going to find the open source version, Chromium, but you're not going to find Chrome, which means you also don't get Netflix. So okay. that's I, I could see that as a problem. Uh, a lot of the the more proprietary type uh, software and drivers and codecs, they're not point-click easy to install like you have in your um, Ubuntu's, your Mints, and your Fedora. The uh, You have to kind of go through a little bit more hoops to jump. Not a lot. And they're not hard. A lot of it's copy-paste, and you can get your stuff installed. But it's not as easy as a Mint in, uh, for getting your codecs. Uh, I did install Steam and tried to do some, ga- some basic gaming in Steam. Uh... When I was using the KDE interface, I had no problems with the, the few games I ran. Um, the laptop doesn't support very many of the heavy first-person shooters, but some of the, the base games that I play on that laptop and other distributions, they played fine. So I, I didn't see any benefit of being a source-driven for, for this rolling release. I didn't see any better frame rates or anything else. Uh, it just... Everything was kind of there and kind of worked without a problem. But where I ran into the biggest issues was when I tried to install other desktops. So remember I said I was going to try and do KDE, LXDE, and um, the LXQT project. Uh, and I tried GNOME 3 just so I could have you know a good handle of all the different desktops that everybody seems to be using. Um. The KDE install, which is the stock install, worked fine. The second I tried to to switch over to LXDE or LXQT, I had nothing but problems. And considering they're a lightweight 
desktop and they ran slower than the KDE desktop, there's something wrong. Uh, I, I didn't expend much time looking at why they were doing it that way or why it was doing it, but they were, they would be to the point where it was almost so sluggish that I couldn't, uh, be on the machine. Uh, there was a couple of times where I, I just closed the laptop and said that this is too slow and I grabbed my tablet and just started doing what I needed to do on the tablet. Um, and what was funny is when I moved over to GNOME and installed GNOME 3, the GNOME 3 desktop was just as fast as the KDE desktop. So I'm wondering if there's not some links that are supposed to be made when you install the, the lighter weight distros, uh, but not have the lighter weight distros, uh, installed by stock if there is something missing so that it, I didn't know. So what you're saying about. is if you had downloaded the version that, that goes straight with it, it would have been fine. Like the LSD I think so. version. Yeah. I think so. Because it seems to be the, the ones that are, you know, the highly supported ones are LX, or KDE, LXDE, and XFCE. Those are the actual distros that are the versions of the desktop that are bundled with the CD. Uh, but they're independent CDs. And I didn't want to download three different CDs. That just seemed silly to me. So I downloaded one and tried to install Overtop. And that just was a mistake. But you've so, had experience that's worked well. With other things, say Fedora, in the past. Oh, yeah. So it's oh, yeah. not something that shouldn't be done. It's something that, that Manjaro doesn't seem to do well. And, and like I said, I don't know if that's on Manjaro 100% or if that's on me not knowing how the package manager works. Right. So, um, and like I said, I didn't have time to... to I, I was doing it more as a, a first-time user playing with the system other than... Um, someone who can actually dig through the kernel levels and the log files and trying to find out what was broken. But I will, like I said, though, the KDE install, the GNOME 3 install, they work great. Um, they they were fast. Uh, no faster, though. I was expecting to see a little better performance because, you know, being a source-driven and rolling release, I was expecting a little better performance, and I didn't get any of that. It just seemed to be yet another KDE desktop or yet another GNOME 3 desktop with the source-driven installers. Uh, so it was... I wouldn't give this to a new person at all. Um, but I would give this to somebody who's on the level of they're not afraid of opening it up and playing with it and tinkering with the... and reading the logs to tinker with different switches to see if that helps or hinders. Uh, basic support was there. So when it comes to playing MP3s or Flash videos or... Uh, HTML5 type videos, that all worked without a problem. So, you know, if, if you're going to be the maintainer of the system, maybe you could give it to grandma. But if you're not going to be around to tell, take care of it, I, I would leave it in your laptop and give something else to your mom and grandma. <laughs> all right. Uh, I will, I was impressed with some of the levels of customization that they put on the Dome 3 and the KDE. Uh, like I said, the, the couple of the widgets that were running by default in KDE, uh, are ones that I normally installed to already have them in place and configured already was nice. Uh, they, the same thing with the GNOME. There were some GNOME add-ons that were already there. Uh, and I didn't have to configure date and time or, or weather or any of the other, um, GNOME 3 widgets that you would normally go get. Uh, all in all, I thought it was a great, 
I wouldn't give it a if I were to give it a rating out of five, I'd give it probably a two and a half, a three. Well, it, it works great for somebody who knows how to tinker with the system. Not so great for somebody who's fresh, and definitely not for a new user. So, was is there any compelling reason to use it? I mean, you know, we, uh, Ubuntu tries to be the everyman distribution, and Linux Mint tries to be the everything you need all at once distribution, and CentOS tries to be the server distribution. What what is Manjaro's claim to fame? What what are they trying to be and do they do it? I would say they're trying to be the most customizable version of Linux because they offer some levels of packages that aren't actively available in any of the other ones. So um but you're losing some of the other packages that are encumbered by copyright or uh, like I couldn't find the Nvidia drivers when I went looking through the package manager. So if you're a gamer guy who uses first person shooters, you're going to have a problem in Manjaro. But if you're just using flash videos, you'd probably be okay. Um, so do they do the customizable thing? Well, yeah, they do. Um, they, they don't have anything hidden away. They don't hide anything in all the custom files are there available. Um, you can edit it pretty much everything you can download just about everything but what i'm seeing is a lot of the proprietary pieces missing and okay. i i, I which you know makes that's it not hard. unusual in a in a full-on free uh distro that no that it's not know, if you were to install Crunchbang, you would see the same thing uh but in Crunchbang, though you're having you have some back-end support because they're following debian so since okay. they're following Debian, if it works in Debian, it probably will work in your Crunchbang. Um, where this is kind of its own duckling, and unless you can find it in Arch and want to risk downloading an Arch package that hasn't gone through the Manjaro testing window, uh, you're kind of playing with fire. Okay. So... You know, to go back to the bit of listener feedback we had there with Dalton, where he said, you know, Arch as a server, I, I don't, I don't want to be misunderstood that we don't think Arch is capable of being a server. But the concept of having a rolling release on a server, that's what makes people freak out. You want yeah. servers to be rock solid, stable. You want them to be three years behind the curve, not not bleeding edge, because that's terrible. <laughs> that's well, scary. <laughs> But on the same note, three years old is, is scary too. You want right. to be in that three-year-old stable source packages and security update patches on top of it. Right. Which is where distros like CentOS do so well. CentOS exactly. is not a good desktop environment because you're not going to have the latest video drivers. You're not even going to have the latest version of Firefox. Uh, you're going to have the old stuff that they know works, but you're going to have the latest kernel patches. Uh, yep. And Manjaro being a rolling release, there is no, there's no versioning. There's no old packages. There's no new packages. There's just Manjaro is, you know, is now what it is now. Yep. Uh, and it's, and do, do, tell me about the package management in terms of updates. Were they optional updates? Did you get the option to install them or did it just happen? Uh, no, they were prompted. You, you had, you, you got a, a little icon in the bottom. It, it's a little ghost. When it's green, you're good. When it's red, you need to check on it. Um, but what I found out, in I found this out luckily in my VMs and not on my laptop that I used every day, uh, 
because I was using it every day and I saw the little ghost change color when it updates were released and I just updated it in line and not thought anything else of it. Some of the virtual machines I didn't have running for weeks at a time. And so they were weeks behind the curve. Well, one of the machines, they were, one of the VMs were, was, I think, just over two and a half weeks out of date. And so I ran the command to update it. I figured, well, I'll just roll it up to the current version and play with it. Uh, evidently that was a horrible, horrible mistake because it crashed the whole system out. Um, and it was, and I didn't know there was going to be a problem until I went, uh, you know, it said, updates are installed, you need to reboot to finish. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll just restart the system. And it never came back. It ended up at a black screen and not even a login prompt. It was just a black screen with a cursor. So it was like the grub package was broken. That's scary. Or there were, yeah, it was one of those things where it's like, well, how can I roll back? And there was no option to roll back even. I was just dead. And which is why I'm saying if you're not, you know, happy being able to roll back or being able to roll back something without too much of a headache, man, I would stay a little bit away from Manjaro or maybe figure out a better, you know, have a machine that's on all the time so it can do those update churns when they're released because you can get bit by a package and not even realize it. So that's kind of what I was thinking about when I when I ask about the the do you get the option because in in a rolling release scenario I I maybe we should ask some of the arch guys or or Linux guys who who know this if if anybody out there is super knowledgeable about this let us know. But it seems to me that in a rolling release scenario, you're not going to have the storage on the back end to roll you up um, gracefully. So, you know, if something gets out of sync by a month, I would expect to see the kind of problems you saw. Uh, I don't, maybe, maybe not. Maybe somebody will tell us that's that, that they have a, a system for that. But it seems to me that in a rolling release scenario, the farther you get away from, the current state, the less able you are to get up to the current state. Um, when you downloaded the ISO, Chris, how does that work? Do they release new ISOs weekly or or semi annual? How does that work? Do you know? I yeah, I, I didn't really notice, and I didn't. You know, let's go check the site really quick because when I downloaded it, it just had a date attached to it, so you knew what day it was that it was it, the release of the ISO. And, you know, it wasn't, it didn't seem like they were that far behind on the dates for release, but, you know, I just, I don't understand why I ended up with, in such a bad spot with that one, that one virtual machine. So Unless, looking, looking on the Arch site right now, their current version is 10.1, and this is, you know, 10.19. So I'm, I'm going to say maybe they roll out new ISOs once a month. So you should probably have been in that range, but I would cringe. I, I I don't know. I would just wonder what would happen is if uh, if you loaded the ten one version on you know one one twenty fifteen. You know, w- w- do they have methods for bringing you up to date so that if you you know if you do spin that machine down for a while or choose not to update it for a while, um, what happens? Uh, you know, yeah. and. Again, we we can only speak from your experience. You install it on pretty much everything you've got, so it only happened on one, but you also kept the others updated, so we don't really have good data. 
Right. I mean, it, and it wasn't, it wasn't very, you know, it's not like I wrote down everything that I updated on every, on every spin up. It was just one of those things where that one VM, I figured, oh, it's been a week since I turned that one on. I should probably turn it on and get it up to date so I can play with it because I had different software installed in each one to play with it. And that one software, which is the office level, um, you know, I, I just had office document or office programs installed to try and play with just office stuff on that one. Um, and it was, it, it just blew me away that all of a sudden it would just be dead. Considering yes. the other ones, the, and like I had another one that I had just, uh, just, uh, picture editing software installed. I went through and if it was like GIMP or any of the picture editing software, I installed all of them and to see how they worked. Um, that one was only two days newer than the one that blew up and that one updated fine. So I, I just, I'm wondering is, is did I get a bad package? And if so, what is the re- resort if you did have a bad package to roll back and get back into your system so you can get a, the updated fix? You probably have to reinstall from ISO. Well, if that's the case, then they need to find a better way of doing it because that is a scary way of doing things. I don't know. Uh, you know, again, we this is a distro review, not um, you know a, a research project you you're talking about your experience with it so i think i'm fairly comfortable chalking that up as as a, an anomaly since it only happened once and only on one of your machines but how many did you put it on like five machines i had on six six so this is a 16 percent failure rate um that's that's not that's not good odds no but you know like i said i'm also one of those guys i have horrible luck when it come, you know, I've I've had graphic cards blow up in the machine where the capacitors exploded. I mean, I am the anomaly when it comes to having a problem. Uh, if it's going to happen, it'd be me that would happen to. And it's just something I've chalked up to experience now. But if that ever happened to anybody else, they would be hit. They would ha- they would be up against the wall because how would you repair it? How could you go back and? You know, heaven help if it would have been on my laptop, my daily driver, because that's encrypted. You know, I would have been really bad then because all of my data would have been gone. The dark side of encryption. (laughs) So what I, what I hear you saying is it's a, it's a here be dragons recommendation. There's, you can't think of any good reason not to do it, but you can't think of any good reason to do it. I didn't see any benefit of doing it. Um, and I, I guess, but I mean, I'm so much, uh, uh, and this is maybe a little bit of my fedora love, but I've been such a fedora guy and I've been only bitten by fedora once over my lifetime of using fedora. Uh, I, I just can't, that's the stock. I mean, that, that's the level of ex- expectation. When I run a distro, I expect it to run as well or better than a fedora release. And, you know, yeah, some of the other guys get, up there either on par or just under you know the mint guys the ubuntu guys they get up to you know they get up to that line or sometimes they get a little over sometimes they get a little under but if i'm going to re- if i'm going to hand this you know install it on a laptop and hand it to my mom this would not be the distro i would give her and, and i think the manjaro folks are okay with that they they would probably agree this is not the casual user's distro um but I think it's interesting that uh, um, Jonathan found it uh, 
stable enough and usable enough to base sonar Linux off of. So well, and know. I think a lot of that might have to do with the fact that he's got some special relations with the Banjaro team. True, and so that might be uh, maybe they spend a little more time on a couple of their pack uh, of the sonar packages versus um, just the the wild packages that they they let go, uh, or it could just be that. They, the Fedora, Ubuntu, Debian teams, they can't cater to a special blend like Sonar. Right. And, and, you know, know, maybe, maybe it's true that you're never going to update the video driver on a Sonar box. So it's less of an issue. You know, maybe, maybe they want primitive stuff so that, you know, like I was talking about with CentOS, the older is sometimes better. And maybe he's always looking for the older packages because, of their stability. So, I, I, again, these would have been good questions to ask him when he was on, but he'll be back. We'll ask him again. <laughs> and, you know, and, and it could have just been that I, it just, Manjaro fell to my horrible luck, and I just had a bad one. You know, one of those bad luck days, and Manjaro happened to be the thing that it hit. Uh, so, in the, it, in the buy, sell, keep recommendations of the stock world, Manjaro's a sell. I would. I, I wouldn't keep it. Um, nor would I, if it was given to me, I would use it until I found something better. All right. They can't all be ringing endorsements, people. Um, nope. I it, mean, and like, I, if you, if you're a geeky guy, like, you know, like us, you know, Mark and you know, Seth, you're probably wouldn't, you'd probably be okay with it until you had a problem with it. And then you would probably jump away from it. Uh, Mark, you and me, we'd probably be okay with Manjaro. Um, as long as you didn't need some of the proprietary stuff. You could probably run it without a problem and never, never hiccup. Um, but if you need the newest version of Chrome because you want to watch Netflix on it, if you need the brand new video drivers because you're a first person shooter, uh, Manjaro isn't for you. I'm just waiting for that newest version of Chrome to come to my Rast BMC so that I can put it on my <laughs> media center. It hasn't happened yet, but it will. I'm confident that they'll do It'll it for the there. ARM processor soon. Um, I'm sure it will eventually. Yeah. Okay. So, what's what's next on your list? Do you have a distro in the wings? Um, I've been looking for a distro uh, to play with. Um, I figured I'd give uh, Peppermint a run again. Okay. Um, I I did do a bunch of beta testing for them on the Peppermint Five when they were, you know, spitting that one together. Uh, but I never actually gave it their full release. I never gave it a good ringing. So I figured maybe that'll once I get back up to speed and I'm not delirious from work, I'll spin up the next mm-hmm. machine for the next 30 days. All right. So we'll look for that in late November, in the, early December. In the future. Yeah. yeah. Cool. We'll, we'll just tout it as in the future. And, you know, if there's a distro that, sh- that our listeners want us want me to sit down and spend some time with, virtual machine it, you know, whatever, let us know because I'm always willing to try. If it's something that I can run with for 30 days without, you know, without blowing up my day-to-day work, yeah, I'll try it on my laptop. That's that's the reason I got the laptop is so I could play with it. So give me reasons to play with it besides play games. Give him reasons to buy new hardware too. That's great. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And if, and if you could send the donations, you know, attention, so Chris, better, right? for 30-day testing. <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind that either. I would love for us to partner with a hardware distributor like, you know, um, 
Open, system 76? Yeah, System 76 or, or uh, Black Lab. I can't remember the name of their hardware uh, arm. Uh, I would I would love to partner with with one of those people and and be able to to have really good modern hardware that is Linux approved and and I, I can't there's I have used System seventy six and I like it but I can't recommend it because it's too expensive. Their yeah. stuff is you know the, let me let me back up their desktop laptops are too expensive. The server side they're not server side they're sometimes cheaper than than a Dell or a or an IBM. And they come pre-installed Linux, and it's great because that's where their focus has been. But I was I wanted to buy a System76 laptop when I bought this one here, this HP that I'm using now, and I just couldn't make myself do it. It's as, it's as expensive as a Mac. Maybe it's as good as a Mac too, but no, I just so I'm looking for somebody out there in the world that I can say this is everyday Linux approved hardware, and I haven't found anyone yet. Yeah, they're pretty they're pretty uh, far apart, that's for sure. And there's not very many that are touting linux support out the gate so doghouse systems i can uh, they do i'm I'm pretty sure uh, out of texas um and uh, again the black lab linux they're but they're just reselling what was it i mean wasn't it i think it's hp Uh, if i remember hp that's yeah whatever so they're they're not making their own hardware and maybe that's why they're less expensive anyway that's a whole other tangent um (laughs) it's there are lots of Wintel machines in the world, right? And you have no trouble buying a machine to get Windows. You can go to any hardware manufacturer, any big box store anywhere and say, I want a computer that runs Windows. And a guy with a name badge will say, yep, here you go. And you can go anywhere, almost anywhere, and say, I want a machine that runs Mac OS. And, you know, anybody that sells those is going to have them. Here, here you go. There's three models you can choose from. Right. But in the Linux world, if you walk up and say, I want a machine that runs Linux, there's a good chance you're going to get a, oh, uh, what's Linux? And there's yeah. an even better chance you're going to get, nah, not going to happen here. Um, and I think, you know, but Mac OS is what, 10% of the desktop market right now? They've been pretty solid around 10% for a long time. Yeah. But I was thinking about this the other day. 10% of the web, 10% of the, the hardware in the world is is Mac. But everybody makes sure their products work on Mac. You know, you you wouldn't release a website that wasn't available for Safari on Mac. You know, you're just not going to do it because that 10% of the people are the moneyed and influential 10%. Yep. Um and while Linux is lagging around, you know, 2% at best, um there not only is it only 2%, but it's the cheapskate tightwad neckbeard <laughs> 2%. <laughs> right. So there's no business reason for anybody to to support Linux and make it a selling point. HP tried it for a while. Dell tried it for a while. Um, IBM tried it for a while. You know, we're going to be the Linux company. And then they found out that Linux people don't buy stuff. They don't pay for anything. They're they're driving <laughs> 10-year-old Pentium M processors. Um, and maybe that's just never going to change. I don't know. But I would like to see Linux be a premium OS for premium hardware. But, you know... E- I just complained about the fact that dog uh, that uh, System76 hardware is too premium. So I'm both part of the problem and trying to be part of the cure. Yeah, see, like, you know, not too long ago, I was looking for a new laptop, and I, I haven't actually bought one yet. And I went over to System76 because I heard it on one of the other podcasts, and I was like, well, I'll go look at their Bonobo. That's the version I was looking at. And if you want to go look and see, you can go see. Um, it's a gamer's laptop just on Linux. Uh, but that's, 
I can get a Windows laptop for gaming at ha- I would say half that, but yeah, it's a little bit less than that for their for their fifteen model sixteen. Yeah. Well, if if you're gonna go with their their seventeen point three, it's sixteen hundred out the yeah. gate, and that's non solid state. Yeah. yeah, that's non solid state. That's not the newest version of, G- of the Nvidia chips. Um, and if I'm gonna buy a brand new machine, I'm gonna get the top of a, a new gaming rig. I'm gonna buy the newest version of the video card. I want a solid state. I want a good processor. I I and I just can't I can't get behind sixteen hundred. Unless it's so over the top right. that it's gonna, you know, just blow my mind. And it, these don't. They're they're they look. I mean, they're they're nice looking, but they're not. Oh my god! I want to have. I wanted to have my babies looking. They look like uh, an old Asus model, right? Which I still own and love my Asus. Yeah, that's sort of my go-to brand is Asus. They're they're high quality. Uh, and yep. you know, they're really right, good. priced right, uh, but and out of all of the Asus laptops I've owned and configured, all of them has have a supported Linux. I would say ninety five percent. Um, the they had that stint where wireless cards were all screwy with everybody, and in that time, wireless cards were always the iffy one. But right. all the other hardware, the graphics chips, all of it was. Out of the box working for me. So come on, Asus, come so come be our sponsor. We'll tout you guys out big time. <laughs> I, if they started selling their their units pre-installed with Linux, I, I would be their biggest fan because yep. the hardware is already there. But they're a, they're a Windows manufacturer, plain and simple. Uh, and you're going to get it with all the stickers and and crapware and bloatware on it. Um, and it's that frustrates me. And and I was reading an article. This was a couple of years ago. This p- hardware manufacturer said that he makes more money on the stickers that Intel and Microsoft wanna want him to use than he does on his hardware. Because hardware's yep. tight margins all around. Um, and so he had a higher margin sticking those stupid stickers and bloatware. You know the 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 Norton antivirus and the Intel Inside sticker made him more money than the hardware that he was selling. And he was just one is, guy, one small vendor, but I suspect the same is true anywhere else. Yeah, yeah I bet it, is. it wouldn't surprise me. But man, all I got to say is I've been drooling over the new laptops from Azus. It's bad. <laughs> He's got I have a man crush on Azus. Sorry. All right, moving on to the news of the week. Um, I'm not a LinkedIn fan. I'm not on LinkedIn. Um, I hear lots of business people say you should have a LinkedIn profile if you want to get a job. Seth disagrees. Well, this is actually a story Ooh. I found. Um, I actually found it on Yahoo. Um, and you found something useful on Yahoo? Wow. I did, what? man. No way. Um, you know, um, LinkedIn has a service that is only available to like, uh, employer type people and then, uh, basically what they do is anybody who you're connected with, um, they can see and can kind of get the goods on you. So they can kind of do a pre screening of their candidates before you ever have a review. So if you're on LinkedIn and you know, you're linked to this person who, uh, you know, or you've worked for this company, then they can reach out 
to this company and kind of get the dirt on you and find out if they even want to pursue you as a candidate. So it's sort of hmm. think of it as a, um, has having a credit and you know, and you might think I don't understand that, but think about if there were a credit report out there that you had no ability to see, but yet you can't get a loan because your credit report is bad, but yet you don't have any way to look at your credit report. So you can't get a job because your, um, rep in the industry is bad, but you have no way to know who they were talked to. You know, maybe your boss had it out for you because you showed him up and, you know, the management went, went with them and you got fired. Well, he's not going to say you're a great employee. So somebody looks to him for, what do you think of this guy? Oh, he's not a good worker, blah, blah, blah. And it's just a way you can, um, and that it's just kind of, so there's a, uh, there's a lawsuit against them and they're seeking clash class action status to um, basically get LinkedIn's practices more out in the open and transparent. Hmm. Well, I'm all for transparency, but the surprising thing, at least in in my particular realm of, of thought right now, because of LinkedIn, I got my job right now. Right. Completely. I mean, I would have never even applied for the job if it wouldn't been for LinkedIn and the, what happened of my my story of LinkedIn. Um, so I can understand why people want to get this fixed and get it transparent, but um, I'm not going to shut my LinkedIn account down. It, <laughs> it's it's too worth it. It's worth it right now. Yep. You know, 90% of getting a job is knowing somebody. Yep. Um, and like LinkedIn, I guess, is a way to know somebody. I, I don't know. I, what, what, when we were hiring for the for the job that we have open now linkedin was one of the that was one of the things you know you look at their resume you look at their online presence yep. um you look at their facebook if it's available you look at their twitter if it's available you want to see how you know who you're hiring and uh, i get that but i you know i'm not on it maybe when i'm looking for a new job i'll have to get on it and uh you know i i often wonder if people listen to this show would that make me more or less hireable? <laughs> you know, I never thought of that. I'll have to ask my boss if he ever actually listened to the show before he he uh, offered me the job. Because I'm I'm wondering if they would have changed their mind knowing now knowing what they know now, um, would they have pulled the trigger on it? I mean, I'm sure would I they... would never get a job at the Electronic Frontiers Foundation if they ever listened to this show. Oops. <laughs> yeah, you'd be fired the next day. Um. All right. And uh, sticking with the uh, conspiracy theory mindset, Marriott um, sort of admits that they're blocking your cell phone. Yes, they were fined $600,000 by the FCC for illegally deploying jamming technology to force their guests and conference goers to use in-house Wi-Fi at their Opryland Hotel in Nashville. And, you know, it's one of those things, if you run a Wi-Fi network for businesses, one of the options you have is to, um, you can, like, shut down other um, Wi-Fi things that operate 
in your range. And the thing is, if you have a, an SSID called use this one, well, what's to stop somebody else from creating one that use this one and then becoming a man in the middle attack. So there are legitimate uses for this technology, but Marriott, they went overboard and they basically jammed all wireless signals, but they're on. And then they turn out around and say, Oh, we have Wi-Fi service that you can use. And it's only, you know, some ridiculous amount of money per day. And this is just a side note. The the more expensive hotel you go to, the more they nickel and dime you to oh, death. Yeah. So just skip yeah. the Marriott. Go stay at Motel 6. Tom Bodette will leave the light on for you, and you'll get free Wi-Fi while you're there. Um, but Marriott issued a statement, and you can read it if you want to link to this article. But basically, their statement is a big steaming pile of stuff. <laughs> and uh, they it, it's written by somebody not in the technology department had nothing to do with his statement because they basically said, uh, we have a right to not allow you to use your Wi-Fi in our building. It's to protect our, our Wi-Fi and make our customer service experiences better. So it's All right, well, just- well, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm listening to you and I'm, I'm seeing a disconnect here. It, the FCC federal communication commission, those outside right. the U S um, regulates Communications right, essentially regulates the airwaves, right? Um, and the Wi-Fi band, the the two point five gigahertz band and the five point oh gigahertz band that most Wi-Fi uses is unregulated. Uh, it's free for anybody to use. So I don't think that they got in trouble for that. It looks to me like they got in trouble for actually blocking the data connection, the the four G connection. Um, because for example, uh, if you buy a Meraki or a um. Uh, something like that. One of the things that they will tout is they can drown out rogue access points. That's what they'll, right. that's what they call it. And that's legal because it's on the public band and it's in your property. So I, I'm not thinking that's it. I think they've actually taken steps to block the, the 4G and the 3G connections, which is completely illegal because those are regulated bands. Um, am I missing the point? Well, you know, it's one of those, are they blocking that or are, because, well, the, the tools that they met reference, Wi-Fi Jammer and Wi-Fi Kill, um, to my understanding, and it's been a while since I've looked at these, but they're, they jam Wi-Fi. They don't jam data. They jam Wi-Fi. Right. So if you have a mobile hotspot or something, you know, because if you have your laptop, um, you know, you're not, most laptops aren't, you know, um, cellular enabled. Some are, but for the most part, you're either using a uh, mobile hotspot or you have the feature on your phone where it becomes a hotspot. And that is actually what they're jamming. Um, again, unless these tools have been upgraded since the last time I've ever looked at them, what they're doing is they're, you know, if you were just on your phone and you just had your data connection, then you should be good. Hmm. Yeah, I I think I think the I don't know it's it's kind of hard to tell from this Forbes article, uh, but it that's you know so one thing is legal and one thing isn't legal, and if the FCC is going after them, it's the illegal thing. Um, and one of the things that you have to be if you've ever f- turned over any radio device, uh, the your phone probably has a sticker on it, your Wi-Fi router definitely definitely it says I think to be a class two device you have to. 
not only cause not cause interference, but you have to accept any interference. You can't actively work against uh, radio interference. So that's one of the things that you have to agree to to be an FCC licensed device. Which always made me wonder how the you know the uh, the Mirakai uh, guys can do that or Meraki. I don't know how you pronounce their name um, or the uh, uh, Aruba guys how they could say we'll kill this rogue device for you. Um, but you know, that's neither here nor there. Maybe, maybe because it's con- back at the central controller, they're actually cutting the jack it's installed on. I, 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 but, uh, that it's, it's, it's not legal to jam cell signals in this country, but it's not illegal to construct your building in such a way that Wi-Fi signals can't get through wireless. For example, there's, I'm not going to say where it is, but there's a place I know of where you go to to take tests and and uh, take courses and things like that. It's an education-centered place. And their ceiling tiles are not the white acoustic ceiling tiles. They're actually uh, metal uh, grids uh, that are dropped in those four by two-by-four slots for ceiling tiles, clearly designed to block. It's a Faraday cage. They have constructed a Faraday cage out of their whole building by putting these tiles in. And the idea is because they don't want you cheating on the tests or they don't want you distracted during class. I get that. That's legal. That that all is fine. You can construct your building any way you want. Um, so I, I find it interesting here that, that like Marriott didn't think this through during the construction phase. So they employed some technology after the fact that said, you know what? People aren't paying our, our $50 a day to use the Wi-Fi or it's way more than that. If you're on a convention for they charge you $300 for an Ethernet connection and then another another $1,000 if you want to plug a Wi-Fi into that Ethernet connection. It's ridiculous because they want to sell their services. Um, so I, I understand why people um, rebel against it. But, I, I mean, obviously what they did here is illegal because the FCC is taking action. But it's just, it's weird to me that you would you would let a dime hold up a dollar. Right, because now they're going to pay this six hundred thousand dollar fine. Maybe they made more than six hundred thousand dollars off of this. Maybe this is a a worthwhile thing to them. I honestly don't know. Um, it's hard to say. Because sometimes no. businesses are okay with that. They're they're fine with paying the fine because they make more than that off of it. Yeah, well, it's just the one sentence in the article. Um, you want to get online at a conference, but the hotel service at the conference facility is exorbitantly priced that you just use your phone's data connection has a hotspot for yourself and your group, effectively circumventing the hotel's Wi-Fi service, but not at Gaylord Opryland. Uh, so, again, it seems to be that they're jamming your technology. Yeah. Um, Fascinating stuff. Um don't do it. Don't adopt Google's stated mantra of don't be evil and this wouldn't be a problem. Um, yeah. Because that's that by any definition, that's evil. Yeah. And you know, and the great thing by adopting that mantra is it doesn't really matter if you're evil or not because you've said you're not. So you can do whatever because right. you've already said you're not evil. And so while we're speaking of the not evil folks at Google, they've discovered another web security flaw that leaves browsers vulnerable. Uh, yes, and I believe this one is being called Poodle. Um, it's a way that 
they can force your browser to break the current um, SSL 3.0 and so or uh, break or force TS TLS not to work. And so part of the way the browsers are constructed, if you can't connect securely via TLS, you drop back to SSL 3.0 and there's lots of hacks and vulnerabilities in that technology. It's pretty old and not supported anymore. Um, but it's one of those things that, Oh, you can't use the new way. So use the old way. And, uh, by forcing you to use the old way, then you're opening up for several exploits that are out there. And as of right now, um, you could turn off the SSL 3.0, but then if you can't connect via TLS, you just wouldn't be able to connect at all. So the way I'm reading this, this is a, a man-in-the-middle attack where the man-in-the-middle c- connects to you, then connects to a web service saying that they don't have SSL or TLS connection. So they're connected to you via TLS. But then they connect to, say, Bank One. Does Bank One even exist anymore? Uh, MBNA uh, and and as an SSL connection, and then they hack the SSL connection. If I'm I'm reading that, actually, that makes no sense at all because if you're already a man in the middle, you don't have to do any of that. But anyway, <laughs> Poodle <laughs> stands for padding Oracle on downgraded downgraded legacy encryption. So somehow it allows for people to decrypt cookies. Um, and then in turn, the cookies can store all kinds of information, like say your password, your session token. Um, and that's, that's not good, but Google discovered it and, uh, let people know. And of course they fixed their own browsers, right? That's uh well, it's a temporary solution. It says the SSL 3.0 can't be fixed. Um, right. And so that's 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 why we move forward to TLS, because <laughs> yeah. SSL couldn't be fixed. Right, I, and uh, yeah, so you know your your fit your fix for this is disable SSL, and then if you can't connect, then you know you know there's a problem, and you can't use that particular website. Okay, I, that's that's. I wish we had more. I wish I had taken more time to research this because I feel like I'm just spouting ignorance there. But there's a thing, and it's bad. So look into it. Um, here's another thing, but it's not bad. It's good. Our beloved Plex Media Server, um, no longer crashes on Linux. Yay! Yay! Well, you know, we hadn't talked. Y'all hadn't talked about Plex in a while, so I just wanted to like give us a chance to, um you know, worship at the Plex altar, uh, version. Let's not overdo it. (laughs) Oh, I'm underdoing it. And y'all know it. Um, 0.9.11.1 is just a, um, it's a, the newest release of Plex and, uh, it, a overall fixes and it brings that important crash fix for Linux. So y'all know y'all love Plex and y'all just, that's why I just figured I'd give y'all a chance to pour some more love out. <laughs> now, I, I love this. This is the perfect way for a developer to describe a bug. The developers have explained that a crash that occurred on the Linux platform when the user set the wrong media directory permissions has been fixed. In other words, we fixed your stupidity because we're developers <laughs> and your users. Right. If you would just set your permissions right, this wouldn't be a problem. That's such a neckbeard thing to say. 
Yeah. But, you know, honestly, I never had that problem come up. Well, Chris, I mean, you would not I, set your permissions <laughs> wrong. Duh. I guess not. I guess not. But, you know, I don't, I guess, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I've just never personally ever had the problem. So, anyway. And my my guess is that the wrong is too permissive. If you've got it set to five five five, or or seven 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 rather, then then that's bad. Uh, but if you've got it to seven five five, it's good. Um, that, that that's the kind of thing a neckbeard would say. Um, <laughs> only he would say it through his braces. Uh, <laughs> no, he he would type it out in vi and uh, yeah. in, <laughs> in binary. Um. All right, moving right along, Mozilla and Humble Bundle get together to release a game collection that runs in the browser. Yes, yes. the latest Humble Bundle is called the Humble Mozilla Bundle, and pretty much all the games have the ability to be played in the browser, so you don't have to have Steam. Um, I think they also have Steam available, and like you have to pay at least a dollar or something like that. Yep to get the steam unlocks but otherwise you can just play them in your browser so it's the latest humble bundle that is out and i believe i haven't checked the site in a while but i believe you have roughly a week to uh to get it this just illustrates the fact that the browser is the new os it's not going to matter in 10 years whether you're running windows linux mac ios android the browser is the os Unfortunately, yeah. yes. Well, I don't know well, that it's unfortunate. A it's a, it's, it's just a, another layer of, of abstraction. You yeah. know, we used to do everything in, in assembly and then we came up with, with operating systems that could be an abstraction layer from there. And now the web has become the next abstraction layer. We tried it with things like Flash and, uh, Shockwave. Remember Shockwave, uh, mm-hmm. and Windows Presentation System, I think it was called. There have been lots of attempts at this, and it looks like the early bets are that HTML5 finally got it right. And so all that's going to matter is JavaScript, HTML5, then, and that's your OS. Uh, and yeah. I'm, frankly, I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing because I don't want everything I do to live in the cloud, but I say that reading a Google Doc, checking my Gmail, speaking on a Google Hangout. Um, I mean, already pretty much everything I do is in the cloud, but I can say that I don't want everything in the cloud. My act, my words and my actions are not lining up. Hypocrite! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As a person, I think HTML5 will save us all. Um, I like HTML5. I can't wait for it to be the the norm. Well, so I'm truth. looking at my system now. I have two things running that are not browser-based. I have the terminal up because I was playing with <laughs> Nano earlier, and I have Pigeon up to be in the chat room. Everything else I have open right now is cloud-based. Um, you know, That's and I funny. run. Uh, you know, I will. I run GIMP fairly regularly. I run Handbrake fairly regularly. So those are those are disk based things, right? But most of my world is in the browser. And I hadn't really looked at it in those terms before, but we're we're already there. We're not moving in that direction. We're already there. Yeah, I mean the web or I'm sorry, not the web, the um web browser is still the killer app. There hasn't been really you could argue there hasn't been a killer app since the web. <laughs> <laughs> 
or since the browser was introduced. Um, since you know, Mozilla. Yeah. The even Mosaic. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, you look at apps and for the most part, any app store you go to and can purchase apps, what are they? They are a reduced functionality of something you can find using your web browser, right. but it's called an app. <laughs> um, you know, they don't, it's not even a full blown application. It's an app because they take us something that already exists, cut functions out of it and pre- repackage it as an app and force you to, uh, well, anyway, that's not entirely true. There aren't fart apps online. Those you have to, at least not yet in the hardware. Okay, while you say that, uh, <laughs> that's going to be Seth's link of the week, the online fart generator. Fartsounds.net. <laughs> that's the Google search of fart website, fart-sounds.net. And, you know, I do believe this. <laughs> nobody had any doubt that that was the case. Oh, Seth is broken. We've lost him. Um, but you know, I was, uh, my, up uh, my package manager updated earlier this week as it does every couple of days. And it said that, uh, Thunderbird needed to be updated. And I thought, holy crap, why do I even have Thunderbird installed? Because it comes with mint. That's why I haven't yep. had a desktop mail client in 12 years, probably 2000, 2002, maybe it's, it's been a long time that, that I've had a desktop mail client. Um, it's, and you know, everything I do is more and more moving to the cloud. Right. And see, what's funny is I haven't had there for a long time. I was only desktop. I, I ran everything local. I was anti cloud, anti everything. And then I drank a little bit more of the Google juice and I went, why am I doing this? Right. This is silly. It's things are better in the cloud. It's fluffy and soft and warm. That's right. And you can touch it from how many different places? Yeah. I mean, I, before that, I did, before I totally moved to Google and, and surrendered my higher brain functions to Google, I, I ran my own IMAP client on my own server. So I, it was, it was mine. It was based on hardware, but I was accessing it through the cloud, but it was my web thing. And th- that made me feel a little better. But it still yeah, it wasn't a physical client. It was a uh, squirrel mail that I was running. Uh, it was PHP based and it was an IMAP client, but you know, it was still in the web. I didn't have a physical client anymore. So, right. uh, and the only thing I've missed, the only thing that I've missed since moving to Google is a uh, random signature generator. Every time I send an email, I haven't figured out how to do that yet in Gmail. You can put a signature in there and you could put something that might change it periodically but i haven't i had a script that ran every time i sent an email it changed my random sig from my list of my text file of several hundred quotations and interesting facts some of which may have well been factoids uh but that's neither, <laughs> that's the only thing i had to give up and i gained right. so much more i can check it from my from my laptop from my phone from my television if i want to so you know i i gave up a little to gain a lot funny Ben Franklin said something about that, I'm sure. Yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> Those who would give up quote generators for ubiquity deserve neither. Um, pretty sure he <laughs> really? said that. <laughs> that sounds like Ben Franklin would it's say. A very, you can attribute anything to Ben Franklin. You can. Ben Franklin said the problem with quotes on the internet is they're very hard to authenticate. <laughs> uh, no, that was Abraham Lincoln. No, I'm pretty wait, sure wait, it was no. Ben Franklin. I thought that was Telsa. 
Nikola Tesla. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to end it there. We yeah. we had a little discussion about the web. Um, that's that has my brain going. Maybe we need to do a show in the near future on the relevance of Linux. Right? We're doing this show about an operating system in a world where the operating system matters less and less. I think that deserves a whole show's discussion. Yeah, gonna, I think I'm so. I'm going to have to figure out how to word that. But uh, it has me thinking. Listeners Uh-oh. out there, uh, yeah, let's, let's see if it gets you thinking <laughs> as well. But for now, let's move on to this week in history. Yes, and listener Brian provided this one, October 22nd, 1962, during an address to the nation. President JFK records his piece of the Everyday Linux opening. So for those of you who stream the <laughs> podcast and you hear the sound that comes on, he rec- he spoke that, and he did it just for us, I know. Yes. Um, I, I haven't found yet to definitively prove that, but I think he said it just for us. Um, but JFK gave a speech, and we... Yeah, so it was, the, it was the speech about the Cuban Missile Crisis, and the line that's in the, the opening montage uh, of our, the, the music... I'm going to have to Google really quickly. Um, it was the Freight Train Jones is the guy's name. That's what he calls himself. Uh, I'm going to have to look at my own website now and see what the name of the song is that I used because I've been using it for so long I don't remember. But it starts with the phrase, uh, irrefutable, irrefutable evidence has established the fact, and then it goes on to some stuff I've never understood. After all, There's more text, more speaking there. I don't know what it is after all the, the years of listening to it. I've never quite figured it out because the guitar... Um, burns it out or drowns it out. But uh, Brian Tana, uh, what I don't remember his last name now. <laughs> Brian uh, commented that uh, he uh, he that this quote was on this day. Um, the uh, that he talked about the Cuban, the fact that missiles were uh, found to be uh, were confirmed on the Cuban Peninsula. Uh, audio illusion by freight train, freight train drones. There you go. Uh, which is licensed under Creative Commons, which is why we're able to do it. So that good ear there, Brian. October 22nd, 1962. The world freaked as the Russians parked nukes 90 miles off the U.S. I wonder if it was a world that freaked or if it was just America. I'm pretty sure everybody was, was scared at that point. I almost said something scared but not nice um (laughs) oh you know what we did a whole show and i didn't mention the linux academy that's bad mark bad host shame on you linuxacademy.com go there for awesome linux learning where you can learn to be a linux administrator by way of their step-by-step video tutorials but it's so much more than just video tutorials it's video tutorials plus pdf study guides plus uh, practice quizzes plus exams plus uh, the their lab platform which is just amazing you can have up to four running machines in the cloud at any time, interacting with each other, all live on the web. You can blow stuff up and it's fine. You can hose you know, your web server and it doesn't matter because it's in the it's a VM and you can just redo it. And you get all this great learning built in with your own plan. You tell them when you're available using their learning plans. You say, hey, I'm available three days a, a week, four hours a day. 
and I want to learn this. Their system does some math in the back ends, kicks a squirrel uh, in a wheel every now and then, a monkey pangs on a keyboard. I'm not really sure how it all works, but I'm pretty sure there's a monkey involved. Uh, and they spit out a lesson plan for you that uh, says this is what you need to do. This is how much time you should spend watching videos. This is how much time you should spend studying. These are the tests you should take. When you're done with this, you'll be ready to go. And here's the estimated quote-unquote graduation date that you should do all this. All this amazingness for 25 bucks a month. But 25 bucks is the mo- most you could ever pay. If you buy a quarter, three months in advance, it'll only be $20 a month. If you really want to dive right in and say, I'm confident in this, I've heard Mark talk about it so much, I'm ready to go, I'm going to buy a year of it, that's only 199 bucks a year, which breaks down to just over $16 a month. Can't go wrong with that. LinuxAcademy.com. When you go, use the referral code EverydayLinux to let them know that we sent you. Can't believe I forgot to do our ad. Oops. Jeez. I guess... <laughs> You might have to do a little more slice and chop this month, this week. Nah, I'm just going to go with it. I never told him it'd be at the beginning of the show. Uh, and so that's a now, premium. That's right. You got to pay extra. If you want to be at the beginning of the show. Uh, now for the, the Seth show closing spectacular. Seth, what do you have this week that's going to reduce my productivity, thus making you look better in the job market? You know, I had one all lined up, but then you got me thinking. And so you can go and you can <laughs> click on the links. I don't know why I never, it never occurred to me to Google fart sounds on the internet. Um, fart dash sounds dot net slash fart underscore sound underscore board. And you can listen to such things as the lawnmower, the, um, gravy stick. For the middle school boy in all of you, fartsounds.net. We've, I'm glad we did the ad before this because. Oh, we've been broken. <laughs> James Brown stains. Uh, oh, and he's playing it. Uh, I hope that didn't come over on the mic. Um, don't, just don't. That, I won't do it anymore. Well, I work I with a guy. And he wouldn't mind me telling this. He is the most enamored with his own gaseous emissions of any person I've ever known. He announces every fart. He he goes out of his way. Every discussion involves a fart in some way. Um, this would be this would be heaven to him. This board this this website looks like it was coded in 1992. That is a an HTML 1.0 table. With a beveled border, because you don't see that much anymore. Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I mean, you know, sometimes you don't mess with the classics. classics. Never die. Yeah. I think I it's funny that at the bottom it says "stop all sounds." Like you would start more than one. <laughs> would you like click a whole slew of them to just get a a, a range of effects at the same time? The symphonic finale. The clucking chicken, um, the bathroom, the Dale Earn fart, I, <laughs> the Jurassic wow. fart, BMX lax, uh, the, the Oprah Dew. wind free. Um, there's some great you know, ones. Just I just love the guys. Names. That's a pretty names good. Names are awesome. The number two with a bullet. I mean, I wonder if these are all actual farts. Like, did he follow? Did, did he walk around to the bathrooms of America with? <laughs> With uh, <laughs> microphones, I hope I, not. That would I be... don't know. But the first one I'm going to click on after the show is over is called Rectal Bismol. 
I would say we've sunk into a new low, but sadly, this is not a new low. We've no, it's not lower. even close. <laughs> All right. This is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us if you want to give us some real advice about uh, Arch or Manjaro, or if you want to talk about the web browser being the new OS, or if you know a better fart site for Seth, this is the place to, this is the way you could let us know. Go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page. That'll send us a nicely formatted email. If you want to do it yourself, you send an email to edl at element op.com or if you want to fart yourself right here on the show and have your tones no, right next no. to ours you can dial 559 i am op and leave us a voicemail and i probably won't put that one on the show but if you have a good comment i'll put that on the there show all of those ways work we love to have you we love to hear your thoughts uh we probably have a uh, listener feedback show in the making i've got them backing up Probably not the best phrase to use considering the topic recently. Um, I've got them collecting in my inbox. God, so uh, we, we'll be doing that soon. Uh, as always, Chris, Seth, thanks for being the great host that you are. And you listener out there. Yes, you. You. The guy on the bus with the earphones trying not to look at the other guy's butt crack. You. Thanks for being a great listener. And this we do this show for you. And for now... I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.